Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders uh, in education and professionals in a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, I'm excited tonight. Uh, we, we're doing a bit of a shift, and we're going uh, to uh, have a conversation tonight with the founder and president of the National Birth Equity Collaborative. Um, uh, this uh, individual joins us uh, to discuss the connection between prenatal health care and education and early life outcomes. Uh, I'm pleased to introduce you to uh, Dr. Joya Creer uh, Perry, who is a physician, a policy expert, a thought leader, and an advocate for transformational justice and uh, who identifies and challenges racism as a root cause of our health inequities. Uh, welcome, Joya. Hi, am I on the right place? Yes, you are, and welcome. All right, yay, we did it, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> so glad to have you. You know, I was worried about you there I'm, for I'm a moment. Thank you so much with, for your patience with me. I appreciate the no. opportunity. No, no, glad to have you here, and just have seen your work in so many places. I'm I'm honored to have you. I know that you've been uh, you've done work with the uh, the birthing project and and all yeah. kinds of work all over. Um, with and in New Orleans, you are a a, a well known and respected uh, physician and healthcare advocate. So. Uh, and and so I, I'm just um, honored to have you on the show today. And um, you know, what I wanted to do, because of the work that you do, is so important, yep. and, and so many people in leadership roles don't know a lot about the connections and how uh, influential these factors are that, that yeah. where we, we, we're, we're touching on some things and they get a lot of attention but where there's a major influence from a lot of the work that you do uh, in uh, determining outcomes, life outcomes for individuals, and uh, we just don't hear as much about it. So first, I'd love to start um, with uh, hearing a little bit about what brought you to uh, being, and you know, the president, but founding the National Birth Equity, what birth equity is about what birth equity is about, and and just some of the work that you're doing. Sure, for sure. And, and once again, thank you again for having me and for your patience with me. My life can sometimes be a little chaotic, so I oh, sure, appreciate sure. it. Um, so yeah. I am um, an OBGYN by training. I actually went to medical school at LSU. I'm from Louisiana and did residency at Tulane. And while I was in medical school, most people, especially for black women, we start organizations to fix the problem we're having for our own selves, you know. And um, mm-hmm. I was in medical school, and I had a, a son, a baby who only weighed a little bit less than a pound. Wow. And at the time, I was married. I was intending to be pregnant. Um, I was not uh, addicted to any drugs or alcohol. I didn't, in fact, back then, I didn't even have liquor in my house. You know, I was a younger person back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, so all the risk factors for having a preterm birth, 
I, the only one that I had was being black. Uh-huh. And how overwhelming that is that when you think about what that means, when you say to people, the reason you died is because you were black. Like, well, how does that even land on people, right? So really the founding of my organization was me working on trying to unpack for myself what does that even mean to say to a human being that the reason that they have, whatever the health outcome is, I mean, for me it was having my son too early, um, was simply because I produced too much melanin according to white supremacy, right? So really unlearning um, the beliefs in a genetic basis of race and a belief in a hierarchy of human value based upon skin color and how that those uh, the the biological basis of race and the understanding that we are broken just simply because of the color of our skin mm-hmm. is actually killing us. It's making us yeah. have babies too early. It's making us, um, and it's also in the early childhood space. It makes us make poor decisions about things like who is a good parent. We see we say things like black dads don't participate. Like all those things flow directly from this original sin in this country of believing in a, a hierarchy of human value based upon skin color and yeah. medicine, healthcare has really codified that into how we treat people and how we create systems and structures. I would argue that so is education, um, but uh, but yeah, my yeah. expertise in medicine is really why I found a motivation. So after having my son um, practice medicine there in New Orleans for a while, and then Hurricane Katrina hit, and I was the kind of junior partner, I was, not kind of, I was the whole only junior partner to the um, gentleman who was a city health director. So. He'd been okay. appointed by Ray Nagin to run the city's health department. And I used to cover him when he would run the meetings with the mayor or meetings at the casino, all this stuff. And so I called him up and I said, hey, listen, you know, I, I have all these ideas. And he said, well, Joya, I don't have any money, of course, but we have a desk and a computer here at City Hall. If you come on up here, you will be the, <laughs> desk, the director of maternal and child health. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that is really how I began my public health journey. And starting MBEC is, once again, once I've, you know, I served at the pleasure of the mayor, I was appointed by the mayor to be the director of medical services. So once I, you know, when you're appointed by someone at their pleasure, that means when they're no longer there, you no longer have a job, right? So um, using my relationship with philanthropy and the things I had learned to really understand that so much of maternal child health is inside of government structures, and those structures are just not sufficient for black and brown and indigenous folks, Um, Government is how we got to this situation. We codify eugenics and all these structures. So I um, really was able to start my own organization back in 2015 with funding from Kellogg, originally to focus on black infant mortality uh, and mm-hmm. to look at preterm birth. And then about six months into our founding, I was invited to Atlanta to the Mother House. It was a meeting that was put on by Sister Song and the Center for Reproductive Rights because the U.N., had sanctioned the U.S. The world is paying attention to us. The world knows that we are not doing a good job when it comes to people of African descent. Mm-hmm. And the Committee on People of African Descent had done a visit to the United States, and they wrote a report and said we're, black people are, um, in the United States are um, dying from mass incarceration, from police violence, from school segregation. And the health indicator they chose and uplifted was maternal mortality because um, in the United States, black people, black people who are pregnant are three times more likely to die within a year of childbirth than their white counterparts. And that's despite Uh, income education. So even if you have a college degree, you're five times more likely as a black person to die in childbirth than a white person with the same similar college degree. And even if you have a college degree as a black person, you are um, almost two times still more likely to die in childbirth than a white person with no 
high school education. So we cannot buy, educate, exercise our way out of it. So the only answer yes. is yes. for folks to stop being racist. Yes. <laughs> is, we, you, you, we've done all the so, things we can do. We, we do all our parts, but folks are going to have to do their part too. Yes, so yes. That's and, what and I do. But, you know, just sitting here really trying to absorb what you've said, that yes. and and I think it's really powerful that you had none of the risk factors that go right. along with this, and yes. the only but I should say the only one was that right. you were black and, and black. exactly and, and, and so that's so hard to really wrap your head around. It is. And, and the truth is, honestly, we say this to people all day, every day, right? Like, think about how many people go in and they say, we well, have breast cancer. You know, the risk factor is being black. Or, like, we have made being black the risk factor. And that is really how we became popular as an organization is because we, we flipped that on its head. My blackness is popping, right? The black skin yes. is amazing. But mm-hmm. racism is what's killing me, yes. not my race. And so yes. how do we change even the idea of what the risk factor is? Because in medicine, I don't. I think early childhood is the same way and education is the same way, that you identify risk factors as things you can actually do something about. Right. So that's the other part about listing blackness as the risk factor. What then is your, your strategy to mitigate? If, if I am the risk factor, if my existence is the risk factor, then what is your strategy to, make, to fix that? Right, right. So, yeah. so let's so let's, let's uh, yeah let let let's dig a little bit into it because I'm I'm sure uh-huh. that um, it's not when when you say um, that it is you know black is a risk factor and we say so that and and it's racism that's killing us so yep. there there so that means that there's kind of an indirect pathway uh, yep. with um, racism exists yep. and it is doing something that it is doing yep. something only to blacks that is yep. causing something else to happen that, exactly. that, that physiologically, psychologically yep. is, yes. is causing these these other components. So let's let's dig into yep. what are some, what are what are some of those so as we connect the dots, what are some of those yep. things that are happening? Yeah, and I'll give you, I'm not, and I'll, I stick to OBGYN because it's what I know, but I yeah, want to just yeah. say that it's in every field, right? So we, I just don't want us to get stuck on the things I'm about to mention as if they are the exhaustive list. But, um, yeah. for example, um, because we believe through our implicit bias, because we've been taught and trained that black people have hypertension, right? So that makes us believe that all black folks have high blood pressure, that we just walk around, and if we don't have it yet, we're going to get it, and we're going to die from it. it. And the truth <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. the data shows that that's just not a fact, right? Like that yeah. when you, if, even if we say 80%, which is not that high, it's not 80, I think it's like 55%, but that, even if we said it was 80, that, means that, that would mean 20% of folks don't ever get hypertension who are black. So right. this idea that every human being that you see by virtue of them having black skin is doomed and destined to be a hypertensive that is how we treat you in medicine. So what that means is when you are pregnant, if you take Tori Bowie, who just recently died, um, having her baby alone, um, having a seizure because her blood pressure was too high, her Olympic athlete body, you're at higher risk of having high level, elevated blood pressures when you're pregnant. So if uh-huh. you come in and we say, oh, but all y'all just have high blood pressure, you're less likely 
to give us medicine for it. You're less likely to treat us for it, and we're more likely to die from it. And I've been saying this now for about eight years, and I go to hospitals and I say, so run your data by race and look and see. All of you have protocols for when you're supposed to treat a person who comes to your hospital when their blood pressure is high. We have a million protocols. And if you can show that you treat black and white patients at the same time, at the same per that protocol, then yeah. I will stop saying that your hospital is racist. Uh-huh. None of them, not a single hospital, has been able to prove that they don't do this activity. They all, yeah. Yeah. all, do this. Wow! So, wow! And yeah. but, you know, it's it's just like tracking kids in education. And but there's so many examples of how what we think of as benign and it doesn't really matter that much that people are racist is actually killing us. It's physically yes, absolutely. murdering. Absolutely. And yeah. I know I mean I, and I and I know we're here to talk about uh, kind of prenatal and maternal health, but I, I will share yep. with you that uh, the same exists with men's health. Um, um sure. I am a I am a black man and uh, yep. just a quick story to share with you um, I, yeah. I had a physician, um, you know, kind of like your family physician, but my, the physician I had as my, my primary doctor was uh, yeah. specialized in men's health. And I, I mean, it was yeah. great. When you, when you live in a city, that's, uh, yeah. that's one of the benefits. You have these real, really fine tooth. Yeah, exactly. right? So he specialized yeah. in, in men's health. And, um, and unfortunately he left the practice and I, I just stuck with the practice and they assigned me to another doctor. And so Mm -hmm. when I was doing my regular physical, this, the new doctor comes in and talk and said to me, so, um, would you like me to check you for prostate cancer? And I looked and I said, you're asking me that question? Right. Yes. You're like, right. Like, right. I, I and I, I went and listen, on and, listen, and, and I went on to, and I went on to say how problematic because I was like, I'm done. You're right. not going to be a doctor, right. I, you know, but I exactly. said, let me tell you how yes. problematic and, it is that yes, you think yes. you should ask me when that's not right. the standard of care. I happen to know right. that you, right. you need to check me as a, you know, 50 plus year old man um, exactly. Every single right. year, but no, right. it, it was like, why are you asking? Right. And, and, and you know what? And it, and it keeps going. Let me tell you, there's a brother who's a urologist. No, he's a um, he's a radiation oncologist for the people who treat prostate cancer at, uh-huh. um, and he's at Johns Hopkins. And he was sitting in his office, and he kept getting all these black men and not white patients who were needed radiation for their prostate cancer. And so we're taught that black men have higher rates and worse prostate cancer and all this. But then he looked at, he went downstairs and saw that the line to get an MRI of your prostate was full of only white men. So he went to the mm-hmm. urologist and he asked them, why aren't the black patients getting MRIs when you feel something or their levels? Of, the protocol, like I mentioned, we have protocols. We have standards yes. that are just written in there. We have guidelines, right? <laughs> like yeah. you said about your doctor. And their response to him was, oh, well, they probably can't afford the MRI is so expensive. So you're just deciding. <laughs> wow. That's, that's... <laughs> right. So just, I mean, this is like over and over. So like I said, I, I choose, 
obstetrics and gynecology because, A, it's what I do and what I know the most about and what I have a lived experience with in my own body and my own three different pregnancies and all that. These are my reasons. But I am trust and believe it is the entire, not just healthcare system, the entire, like it's all, the, the United States was built on white supremacy. So every yeah, institution, yeah. every organization, it's how it functions. And, and the truth is, that means we can stop it, since we know yeah, that, right? Yeah. Like we can see, yeah. so y'all believe you are superior. We've now run the entire, we've done the entire Human Genome Project. There is no white race. There is no biological basis of race. We've looked at our skulls, our Achilles, every part of our genes. We are not, there's no biological reason for you to treat us this way. So stop it. And let's all show that everybody's equal, right? Like that's really where we are, honestly. And that's where you see the pushback in our government right now because folks have been struggling with this concept, like really struggling. Yes. And so so clearly getting back to uh, the work that you Mm -hmm. do, uh, particularly around prenatal care, um, yeah. I, I remember, you know, years ago, um, I was on the school board in New Haven, Connecticut, and we had this initiative uh-huh. uh, that was we had kind of a community liaison that would go into the hospital and be there day after yeah. day and and deliver uh, a book to new mothers yeah. that had an address yeah. in, in New Haven. And, and mm-hmm. the whole idea was um, to have someone go and sit and talk to these mothers about the importance yeah. of reading early to your child. Here's, you know, yeah. here's Good Night Moon or whatever the book was. Um, yeah. here's, here's what we want you to, to do to start out with. And I would imagine, mm-hmm. though, that there are, there are similar uh, programs. For sure. But, but, For sure. but that... But 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 just thinking about prenatally, uh, there are right. there are there are, there are health uh, components that people need to know that they are not For being sure. told that that would yeah. would affect outcomes. You 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 speaking a mouthful, probably even more than like so. For example, the truth is that there have been so many programs, like the one you're mentioning in New Haven, who have evidence that show that they work and they just don't get funded. Yeah. I'm sure this happens in almost everybody's field, right? Like, so yeah, yeah. Um, we know that social support, social safety, connectedness, reading, like all these are common sense, almost obvious things. And, yeah. um, and yet when we invest in them in a place like New Haven and say, hey, why don't we then scale this up, come to D.C., let's make it a federal program where we're going to put yeah. across the country just for people. Magically, we can't find the money. We find money for war. As to quote the urban illuminary Tupac Shakur, right? Like it is. is, um, There are many, many examples, um, and that's why I love that I come from a local health department because I understand. I think a lot of people start off in D.C. and have never done local work, but Mm -hmm. when you do the local work, the sausage gets made. Like being a local school board member, you know. That's very different. You just hopped up in your secretary device. You have no idea how the sausage gets made at the local level. Like you have no idea the level yeah. of, of dealing with parents and principals. And I was on my daughter's school. Um, uh, uh, I was on a board when, I, when she was in high school, mostly because I was afraid her mouth, like my mouth was going to get her in trouble. <laughs> so when they offered it to me, I said, yeah, yeah, let me yeah, go to this yeah. board. <laughs> yeah. and, and, um, but there is a, 
making sure during prenatal care that people have access to information. It, I mean, yeah. the list, we don't even train. We, we, we understand this concept of social determinants of health, which truthfully has only been around since 2006. And the grand scheme, that is not that long ago. So up until 2006, sure. we believed in the biological basis of disease writ large. That meant mm-hmm. the reason mm-hmm. that people got sick was just because of their choices or their genes, and that's pretty yes. much it. So it was a huge idea when the World Health Organization released a statement that said this, that uh, your political, social environment actually causes health changes. That was just in 2006. Wow. Yeah. That is not that long ago, you know? And so then when I talk, and the reason, you know, in addition to saying racism, I talk about gender oppression, about classism, about religious fundamentalism, like any of these um, oppressions, global, if you're in another context, it might be tribalism, it might be casteism, right? Like any of these things impact your health. This is a shocking concept for healthcare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We really think of so, health as, yeah, we, we totally yeah. think of it as transactional. Like you come in, I don't really know anything about your life. I can give you a, a, some insulin for your diabetes and go home, right? Like uh, we don't talk anything uh, about diet, exercise, stress, spirituality. Yes. Like yes. all these things. Yes. Impact and I'm sure. And so I'm is sure. A, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, and I'm sure you've you've seen a lot of people who kind of say, well, I, I get. When that when you're talking about life outcomes, um, they say I get when the that if the child doesn't get certain vitamins or immunizations right. or whatever after exactly. they're here after they're here, I get why they, that would impact. But there are a lot of people that are still kind of in denial about the yes. prenatal aspect to this and how important the prenatal part means. Yeah, yeah. To not just are they going to be healthy children, but are right. they going to be healthy adults? Right, right. And, and, you know, we know so much of our imprint of our life happens prenatally, right? Like so much yeah. of, of um, your, your, your heart, your lungs, all things are formed while you're in your mother's womb, right? So if you are not getting, uh, if, if, you're stre- if you're in jail, think about the moms who are in jail right now, yeah. or if you are getting poor nutrition, like, we are, that's by policy. We have to, we have to pass a law. I'm going to give you why jail came up for me. Because we have a law right now. The momnibus is what we're trying to get passed through Congress. And one of the bills is about um, moms who are in jail. Because we passed the anti-shackling law. Because we had to literally pass a law that says, don't leave a person restrained while they have a baby. Yeah. If I should write that down, I know that this seems wild to people, but it is a fact that yeah. we will have a person in handcuffs. Yeah. Push and have a baby. This yes. happens across the United States right now today. Yeah. And when you ask, and as, and as, as a person who had to do these deliveries and try to get the the guard to take the handcuffs off, and when the excuse from the guard would be, well, she might run away. She's pushed to run away to where? Like, what do you think she's going to do right now? Like, right. Like, and that trauma, the trauma yeah. of birthing while handcuffed, right? Like, think about that baby coming into the world that moment. Um, yeah. I just think sometimes we, we lose sight of not only just the, the, the you mentioned vaccines, like we want to hyper, right now, you know, many foundations focus so heavily on vaccinating the world because of diarrheal diseases, but won't focus on clean water. Like we, we get the, the, we 
we get the, the, the racial capitalism part, what we can sell or make to give you after you are sick, but we don't right. get to how do we invest in your infrastructure so That's that you right. don't become sick, you know? Yes. How do we ensure yes. that I, in New Orleans we are frequently boiling water because oh, we have right. old pipes. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And we have, I mean, the reason for preterm, another reason for preterm birth is high heat, right? So we have a horrible transportation system. If you're standing outside waiting for a bus and the buses are always late, you bypass out of miscarry. Like there's just so many infrastructure choices that we are making. I mean, we talk a lot about paid leave, equal pay, paternity leave, maternity leave, and all those are so important. And we look crazy to the world. We literally look crazy to the world. Like people cannot yes. believe when I show up to meetings yes. and say, oh. we don't have paid leave in the United States. They, right, they, they right. think I'm kidding. Right. They and absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, and I, I want to go back to what you were saying that we actually had yeah. to write it down that uh, a mother right. should not be restrained is that the truth right. is in a lot of these cases, we treat animals better than we do humans yes, because we do. Think, yes, absolutely. To think that we would, we, do, we, we do. would say you, like, you would have to deal with ASPCA if you said, yes. you know, a lot me, Peter would be on us. If they showed a oh. video of people restraining some animals and yes. them having babies, babies. Yes. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and it's, 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 it is absolutely criminal, a lot of the things that happen. Um, oh, and, and, I, and I think about, too, when, so I, you said, and I, and I don't want this to be lost, is that when you mm-hmm. talked about, um, you know, uh, prenatal, I want to be clear yep. that um, it's not for people who are listening, that we're not talking about uh, people learning that you shouldn't do drugs or you shouldn't uh, right. smoke or you shouldn't drink alcohol. Right. That's not what we're right. talking about here. We're talking nope. about other yep. factors in, in yes. uh, prenatal term yes. that um, yes. are impacting uh, disproportionately are imp- uh, impacting yes. black women. Yeah, I mean, like right now, the number one reason for, so it used to be the number one reason we died was we were bleeding to death, which in a nation as wealthy as the United States made no sense, right? Like it's not like we're in another place where there's not blood products everywhere. So if you bleed to death in the United States, that is a huge problem. Like, that should not happen in the United States. So mm-hmm. hemorrhage what used to be the number one reason that black women died. So we made a big stink in the media about that, so they stopped letting us just die from bleeding to death because they realized that did look crazy to have a person yeah, um, yeah. bleed to death. And if you send that stat into the state, they're like, so all the blood banks were closed? Like, y'all couldn't find blood? You know, like, it's just, there's right. no right. medical reason for that to happen, right? Um, yeah. But so now we've moved on to the number one reason we're dying is because of heart conditions. So like like mm-hmm. Bowie, sorry, Bowie, the track star, or like these cardiovascular, so hypertype blood pressure. And that's stress-related. That's being ignored. That's the Serena Williams blood clot. That, that's all these folks who, despite income or education, because you're living in a body that's constantly in fight or flight. You are, yes. any black person yes. knows yes. that you are in constant fight or flight. You don't go to any place without paying attention to what entrance and exit is. I mean, this is and you just teach this to your children. Like that, that whole yes. thing we did about giving the talk. It's not a, it's not a talk. It's an everyday how you live. This is not just a sit-down mm-hmm. lecture. If mm-hmm. you, are, you are, how do you live? You stay in constant fight or flight. 
yeah. the more wealth you have, it's mitigated. You don't do it as much, right? Like you're not when you're in the hood, you really got to do it, right? Like you got to worry about all kind of folks. But even when you are well resourced, yes. you don't just show up to places and not pay attention to um, you know, mistreatment. If you're not going to, I mean, basic things. I have patients who wouldn't get their epidurals because black women tend to not scream and yell in labor. And because we are not screaming and yelling, anesthesia says, well, their pain level is not that high. Yes. That's just, we have, we, we just, we um, express pain differently. We talk yes. like this when we are yes. angry. Yes. <laughs> no, well, but there, there's, a, there's a history and a reason. <laughs> right, that's, that's, there's a reason why we have, oh, you know, yes. we've been conditioned, right? Yes. You know, we've been conditioned yes. that, that emotional restraint is the rule of the day. Yes, um, because it is. You, and then we get punished for doing it, though. That's the problem, right? So, like, yeah. we've no, learned right. how to be really good at, like, keeping it low, like, not making a scene, yeah. not being dramatic. But then because we don't do that, we don't get pain relief. Like, we are damned if we do, damned if we don't. And right. um, that's the problem. Yeah. Right. And, and, and one other thing I'd, I'd love to hear you speak to, because – uh, this mm-hmm. is something that I've encountered, and I, and I would say all over the world and, and places I've been in Africa, uh, but not just Africa, but in Southeast Asia, too, is that mm-hmm. I have experienced that when, when people have experienced uh, what I, 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 they, you know, some people call them uh, kind of life traumas, but, but something yeah. like hunger at a level yeah. where where they don't know, and I say, and I put it this way, because there's there's one thing to to have food and say I don't want that, and so I choose to go to bed right. hungry. But when right, right, people right. have, I I just believe, and because from my experience of of mm-hmm. being around people who have experienced hunger and then not Real knowing hunger. when or if they were going to be able to eat. Right. And I'm just exactly. I, I just go back to mothers being in that place. Yes. I have experienced yes. them that they are different for their lifetime. Yeah, like that, that's just a, sure. it's something that some of us have never experienced and never will experience. Exactly. But that but just having exactly. been around people that have they they are yes. very different, very very different. And, and also there, there's a there's a documentary out about Katrina babies. And because although you talk about Africa and Asia, but we've had so much high-level tra- trauma here in the United States lately, right? And so yes. the women who were pregnant during Katrina who had to evacuate, who were left at the Superdome, who were like, those babies, they are yes. going to be different babies. Like they, they were in a war-torn, forgotten, trauma-filled that's existence, right? That's right. right. Like that's the stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah. you know, I, I, I can't believe it. We are already out of time, and um, it has been. <laughs> we can, we can, I, well, I know I had a feeling we would talk, and it would be good. So I knew. Yes, I was, I was, yes. Thank and, you. And I, I just you. let me tell you, I appreciate you so much of uh, being yeah. on. I'd love. I know people are going to want to know um, how to reach yeah. you, how to follow you. So please, any social yeah. media handles, emails, yeah, phone sure. numbers. Where can people reach yeah. you and follow your work? Yep. So I, I wanted to, in my mind, I'm hip hop, right? So DOC instead of DR. So the DOC, Creer Perry, uh, DOC, C R E A R P E R R Y. 
and that's both my Instagram and my Twitter handle. And then Dr. Joya Perry is my LinkedIn and my Facebook, and please reach out. Um, National Birth Equity Collaborative is my organization. I'm fighting a little bit with my fiscal sponsor right now, but you know God's going to take care of that, so I'm not too worried about that. And um, <laughs> right. so please follow and back because we do great work, and that's pretty much it. Excellent. Thank you so much. Listen, you've really added to me and I've learned a lot and it was a great conversation. I appreciate you taking the time and just uh, keep doing what you do. And uh, we'll be, we'll be following, listening and, uh, and supporting your work. So until we meet, go well, stay well. Thank you, my love. You'll be blessed. Thank you. Thank you.